0: the Psalms. We are uh, two down and 148 to go, and so join us for the next three years, and we're going to journey through the Psalms together, one at a time. Uh, I'll give you warning the week that we do Psalm 119, because it might take a little while for us to get through that. Um, um, But uh, it is hard to, to kind of pick out. So we are doing uh, seven of these. We're actually going to kind of roll into on Labor Day weekend and and pick up an eighth psalm. Uh, So I guess that's still considered part of the series. Uh, So we're picking eight out of the 150, and... And what, what Bill sought to do in, in some of his research and looking in is uh, there are a variety of different psalms. There are psalms of lament. There are psalms of praise. There are, are psalms of ascension that as pilgrims entered into Jerusalem that they would sing. There's uh, all sorts of different you know, psalms about you know, creation, uh, about praising God, uh, you know, about being in the, the valley of, of distress. And so just to try to take you know, a cross-section of the psalms because Really what the Psalms are is a reflection of what we walk through inside the whole of life. And we've mentioned kind of two things, and this gets back again, as I mentioned last week, that faith is, is both personal and shared. It's both private and corporate. There are a couple things that make sense when we think about the Psalms. On the one hand, it's almost like you were listening in, that you kind of had your ear to the door as somebody else was praying, and so you, you have the, the privilege of kind of hearing the way another individual is talking to God about some very deeply personal things inside of, of their lives. On the other hand, or at the same time, that gets codified, that gets written down, that gets put to music, and it's almost like when you read the Psalms, you're not only listening to someone else's prayer, but you're also uh, joining in with words that have been sung and have been put to music out of Scripture— that became the songbook of the Old Testament church and, let's face it, the New Testament church. Because in 2 Timothy 3.16, when it talks about that all Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he is talking about the Old Testament. Now, it applies to the New Testament as well, that verse, obviously, but the New Testament has not been formed and compiled yet when Paul writes to Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God. And so when Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room and it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they left and they went and they end up at Gethsemane, possibly, quite possibly, maybe likely, they are singing one of these psalms that you have inside of uh, your Bible. And so as we kind of walk through these, there's some uh, very specific themes inside of the 150 psalms, but there's also some general themes that kind of run through And we've kind of picked up on these, but we'll continue to pick up and kind of emphasize these. Maybe the first and foremost is that you can be, you should be, you ought to be, you you can be honest with God inside of your conversation. You can be honest with God. You don't have to hide anything, cover up anything, polish over things, pretend like something doesn't exist, as if you could hide your true thoughts, true motives, true feelings from the God who knows you and made you and sees you and knows all things. So if he knows it anyway, you might as well just be honest. And if you've ever raised kids and it's like your two-year-old knows that you know what he did and yet he still doesn't want to talk to you about it anyway, like sometimes that's how we are as children God knows what's inside of your heart, so why don't you have the freedom and the honesty to talk with him about it? And I think that's what one of the things the Psalms remind us of. The second is that God can kind of meet us in uh, the midst of our circumstances, you know, can converse with us in the midst of that, can kind of transform it. Yes, but God wants to meet you in the middle of your circumstances. And so regular, regularly we'll use the, fr- the phrase that it's not like faith is not just a Sunday morning thing, But even on your stressful Tuesday afternoon or uh, the moment of conflict inside of your home on Thursday evening or when you wake up feeling lousy on Friday, inside of all of those contexts of your life, God is just as much with you then as he is with you here and God wants to meet you in the midst of your days uh, and the moments and the circumstances of your life. The third thing I, I, I think we think about is not just being honest with God and God meets us in the circumstances, but each and every one of these psalms is a testimony. It's a story. It's an honest reflection of what's taking place inside of someone's heart. And I think about the fact that your testimony, whether it's put, put to psalm to, to song in the sense of the psalms, that's a lot of S words, you know, I know psalms begins with a P, but you know what I mean, like Whether it's ever put to music or not, but either the song of your heart, the story of your heart, the story inside of your life is shaped and formed over time. I think each and every one of these psalms was kind of put together and maybe it was scratched out on a napkin, you know, just in the the rawness of the emotion. But I think over time, you know, somebody went back and they corrected a word, and they corrected a word, and by the time, you know, it finally gets written down and becomes, you know, part of the songbook of the early church, it's because the person has processed the reality of what God is doing, and yes, inside of the vulnerability and the rawness of the emotion, but putting pen to paper. And so your testimony, whether it's a song of triumph or a song of lament whether it's a testimony of just how high and mighty God is or how much you needed him and he was the only thing you had to cling to in a difficult season, whatever the testimony of your life is is processed and borne out through time. And so don't feel like you have to have it all figured out as you're going through it. Because the psalmist certainly didn't have it all figured out as he was going through it. So last week we looked at a a psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, that is David, and we got a little note there that said after his sin with Bathsheba and and after the murder of Uriah and after Nathan comes and confronts him, David uh, enters into a time of repentance and a time of deep mourning and soul searching and asks God to to forgive his sins but to also create in him a clean heart. And so last week was all, all about a cry for repentance and for mercy. This week is different because the pain that's being expressed is not over one's own sin, but about the shape of the world in which they live. Because it seems like as they try to do rightly, everybody else around them is going the opposite way, and while they struggle, it seems like everybody else seems to succeed. Today's psalm is more of a vantage point as one kind of sits inside of their own reality, and metaphorically looks out the window and sees, why is it so hard for me and so easy for everybody else? And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 73. And I say, if you have it, to open it, because I'm not going to read all of the verses. All the verses aren't going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read them down through, and you might want to follow along with me especially if you're accustomed to, you know, watching up on the screen the entire time. Psalm 73. Now, we get no introduction like we got last week to Psalm 51. There's no story behind Psalm 73 of who wrote it, what it's about, what the context is, what the background, the backdrop, the story, uh, just simply jumps in. Psalm 73 says, Surely God is good, to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And I stopped there in terms of of the slides because I wanted you to just kinda, you know, hear that introduction that the psalmist is kind of beginning if any of you who've been kind of a, you know, a boss or in a time of authority, maybe you've heard about the encouragement sandwich, right? So if you have something negative, you say, it's like, uh, oh, it's a, you're a really nice person, but here's what I really want, what I don't like about what you're doing, and it's the end. But remember, I said you're a nice person. You know, and I'm not making fun of that. I think that is a very good thing to do, but sometimes it start with something positive, get to something constructive, and end, end with something positive. In a way, the, the psalmist does, does this here as well, and it's not because... He's trying to just pretend that things are okay, but it's almost we get the vantage point that he's already processed something that he continues to struggle with. And so he's going to begin by saying, you know, I know that God is good to Israel, to those that fear him, to those that walk with him. I know that God is with me inside of these things, but yet I almost tripped up when I looked around and saw what was going on in my life compared to what was going on with the people around me. And he uses words here. He says, I envied the arrogant. So the person that I choose to not be, to not put arrogance inside of my life, yet there was something within me that envied the person who was arrogant because it seemed like they prospered and I didn't. I've done the right things. Didn't necessarily land in success. Other people have done the wrong things. It seems like it's turned out okay for them. They have no, no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And then he goes on, and I want you just to kind of listen to this and just kind of read, you know, hear this because it's kind of like, again, if you're listening into somebody else's prayer, this would be the time of the rant of just, you know, God, I'm going to tell you just everything that's on my mind. So I'll start from the beginning again. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up uh, uh, waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been affected or afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny." Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you and you hold me by my right hand. And so the psalmist here is going through, and and he's talking about, he's processing this reality uh, of all the things that he sees, and and he's kind of just like ranting out loud. And he gets to the very end, and he says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom am I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all of your deeds. Now, the reason I didn't go through and put all that up on Scripture is because I just wanted us to kind of hear it, because sometimes uh, when you read a rant, you get caught in specific phrases, and so... You know, it kind of says this, and he moves on, and he says this, and we can go down through and dissect the meaning here and the meaning, meaning here, but sometimes you just have to listen to the whole. And the whole is, again, he starts out, God, I know that you're in control. I know that you have everything, you know, that you are sovereign over everything, and that you're going to do good for Israel. Uh, at the end, I'm reminded that when it comes down to the very final verdict of human history, it's all about being in your presence for an eternity and everything's gonna be made right in the end, but let me just stop for a second and talk to you about the middle. The middle is between what I know to be true and the ultimate reality of my life, the middle is where you live. The middle is in between what we affirm inside of our faith and what we put our hope in and our trust in, knowing that one day we're gonna be inside of his presence where there's no more mourning or crying or pain or sickness, When people's, uh, where there's an evaluation in in a sense of where people's hearts are, in between what we know and what we ultimately expect uh, to realize is where we live. And where we live does not always seem to look like or fall in line with what we know to be true and what we one day hope for. And so, thou shall not lie. I'm gonna be somebody who tells the truth and doesn't lie. And I know that the God of all truth inside of all of heaven for eternity is truth. Yet in the middle, it seems like, a lot of people lie to get what they want or to make other people think highly of them or to easily solve a situation or to talk themselves out of a jam. And why is it that if I've made a commitment not to lie and if God is the God of all truth, there should be a little bit more cause and effect consequence, reciprocity for people who are not truthful in life, but sometimes it seems like the liar gets ahead. And you could fill in the blank with any other sin that you want. The psalmist here just goes on a good, old-fashioned pity party rant, woe is me, God, I'm trying to do the right thing, but it doesn't seem to get me anywhere. It would be so easy if I did the wrong thing, but I'm trying to do it your way, and yet your way doesn't always seem to be the way that prospers. Have you ever been there? It's kind of a rhetorical question because I know that you have. Because it's human nature, and I think it's a a tool of the enemy to point out those times where it seems like the kingdom way is not the way that leads to success and fame and fortune and approval and all those things. Uh, that we kind of wish we know that all we need is God, and yet there's quite a few other things it would be nice to have along the way. So I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to read this again, and uh, I'm not going to have you turn to this passage. I mean, if you want to, you can, but I'm going to read Psalm 73 out of the message translation because I think it even boils it down just a little bit more earthy in terms of the language uh, that we would use kind of in a day-to-day basis. I don't often read the message translation, but sometimes I think it just, it just brings some of the reality out. And again, just uh, listen to this. Maybe think about a time where it seemed like evil was winning or the evil were prospering and you were trying to do the right thing and you felt like, you know, poor me, woe is me, sitting over here in my little uh, righteous but unhappy and unsuccessful circle while, while the wicked seemed to perish. If you've ever been there, maybe think about that as you read or as you listen to these words. Psalm 73 from the message. No doubt about it, God is good. Good to good people, good to the good-hearted, but I nearly missed it. Miss seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up at the people, the ones at the top, envying the wicked who have made it, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the, in the wide world, pretentious with arrogance. They wear the latest fashions and violence, pampered and overfed, decked out in silk, bows of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They're full of hot air, mouths, disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Is nobody tending the store? The wicked get by with everything. They have it made piling up riches. I have been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I'd had given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed your dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it all out, All I got was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I saw the whole picture. The slippery road you've put them on with a final crash in a ditch of delusions, in the blink of an eye, disaster, a blind curve in the dark, and a nightmare. We wake up and rub our eyes and nothing, there's nothing to them there never was. When I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed with my envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and you tenderly lead me, and then you bless me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock fir- firm and faithful. Look, those of you left who are falling apart, deserters, they'll never be heard from again, but in the very presence of God, oh, how refreshing it is. I've made the Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what it is that you do. Now again, that's we're not accustomed to reading that kind of language of scripture, but I think it kind of takes a psalm like this that kind of brings it down to where we naturally live because otherwise we're, we're tempted to read through and, and, and we almost know the story. And so when you read something like, it seems like, you know, I grow envious of those who seem to do evil and prosper, immediately, you know, our kind of biblical knowledge kicks in and we're like, okay, but there's got to be a but because that doesn't really happen. But what the psalmist is speaking to is not to bad theology that he's bought into. But in, in just the observing of life, what seems to be the case, that, the, that wickedness seems to prosper and godliness seems to either go unnoticed or punished. Now, a couple of points here. I, I believe you know, that this psalm is here because it's a common human experience. I don't think this is just one psalm that's one person's experience that's just included just because. I think the reason, you know, that that this falls inside of the canon of scripture is because it's something that every person throughout all of human history, at some point, when you've tried to do it God's way, rubs up against the fact that if God's way is not the world's way, there are going to be people in the world who seem to be winning when it seems like you are losing or even just not quite gaining ground as quickly as those around you. And we've said before that we need to guard against you know, evaluating God in light of our circumstances, but yet it's so easy, even if we're not evaluating God, sometimes we evaluate our spiritual life. Maybe I'm doing something wrong, maybe I'm missing it, you know, shouldn't it be easier than this? Shouldn't, it, you know, you know, shouldn't people have a higher opinion of me because I've tried to do the right thing but nobody notices and we get inside of that loop that just cuts us off and, and traps us. And we read scripture and we know that faithfulness and righteousness often come at a cost. And there's not always a reward that's attached or an attaboy that that comes on the tail end of it. Another point, you know, and I mentioned this at the outset, is the importance of being honest with God. The psalmist here, when he goes off on on this little rant of everything that's taken place, he's merely just articulating before God what God already knows that's in his heart. And so when he looks around and he sees that it seems like other people are doing just fine without God, that bothers him, and God says, I know that it bothers you, let's talk about it. That prayer could be a dialogue, and there's something that takes place here that when you're willing to be open and honest, somehow then there's the ability to process those things that the negative emotions, that there could be the healing bomb of Gilead that could come in inside of that moment. When there's untruth, you know, somehow then the God of all truth can say, you don't really believe that, do you? And all of a sudden that falls away. That there's something that happens when we are at least open and willing to talk to God about the things that are going on. You're not educating God. You're not bringing God up to speed with something that he is unaware of, but you're simply inviting him in to the place where you struggle. And I think there, when we invite him in, he's got access to us, and he brings wisdom and comfort and perspective to the table that we don't have on our own naturally. And so the psalmist goes through and And I find inside of, you know, the NIV, we read that he kind of talks about four different groups of people. That he's talking in general about, it seems like, you know, the wicked, and he uses kind of that as an overarching category, the wicked seem to prosper, but he goes on and he he describes four other people groups, or maybe they're not even four people, but four kind of adjectives. And he says there's some people, you know, that they seem to have it all together, everything looks good from the outside. This is not just a personal appearance, like beauty contest, but when things look good and there's people that come out looking good in every situation. There are people who seem to be winning and succeeding and everything seems to go their way. There are people that seem to catch all the breaks. And there are people who seem to have you know deep relationships that are there to rescue them or help them out or make it a little bit easier for them. Now none of these things are bad words in and of themselves. I look out, I see a number of beautiful people here inside of the room, like it's not, I'm not saying that all the Christians in the world are ugly and all the beautiful people, you know, aren't believers, like that would be an affront to all of you, you know, exclude, Uh, but the reality is like when things look good from the outside, sometimes that bothers us because it's like we're trying to not cover it up, we're trying to be real, we're trying to be authentic and it seems like the person who saw facade get celebrated, and the things and the people who are real get cast aside. It seems like the people who get to the top, no matter how they get there, benefit from being at the top, and those who try to do it the right way struggle. The ones who catch all the break. Now, in the church, I said none of these words are bad in and of themselves. Uh, In the church, we take this word and we call it blessed instead of fortunate. Fortunate. Because we don't believe in, you know, fortune or luck or all those kind of things, and so sometimes we use a church word that just says, oh, I'm so blessed. You know, when, you know, all of a sudden a check that you weren't expecting arrives in the mail right at the time where you have a bill to pay, like, the world would say, oh, that's lucky, that's fortunate, we say we're, we're blessed. And I only point that out to say that sometimes it does seem like things happen that aren't necessarily just cause and effect, natural consequences, but it seems like sometimes things turn out well, unexpectedly, and we don't know why or how, and again, relationships are important, connections are important, but sometimes it seems like the people who take the easy way out win, and the faithful find themselves on the short end of the stick. Now, I want to press into this a little bit further, not necessarily these four four words, but to just press into what is actually happening here. Now, there's a variety of different situations. None of our lives are exactly the same, but, but I think there's a few different things that are actually possible inside of all this when you look out as, as a vantage point and it says, they seem to be winning where I'm struggling. Things seem to be easy for them and it's always hard for me. Let me walk down through four potential things that are taking place. And, and again, I use this word sometimes because not all these situations are equal. And, and the last thing we want to do is try to paint with a broad stroke everybody inside of the same reality. Sometimes it is all inside of our head and our heart. In other words, the enemy convinces us that evil wins. Sometimes the problem is just a problem of perspective because Satan whispers inside of your ear you know what, if you just, just would have taken the shortcut, it would have been okay. After all, Johnny down the road, he's doing okay, he's doing great, he's doing wonderful. You have no idea how Johnny's doing, but it's one of those things that the enemy whispers inside of our ear, take the shortcut. Remember with Jesus how Satan said, you know, if you're hungry, you're God. Why don't you just take these stones, turn them into rocks, you can do this. It's easy. You're God. Like, Just make it happen. Take the easy way out. And so the role of temptation sometimes is to even spin reality, and sometimes it seems like the evil that's winning on the outside is not winning at all, but it's just actually winning inside of your mind and inside of your heart. Kind of connected to that, but I, th- I think this difference is subtle, but it's important for us to think about. Sometimes it appears evil is winning. Just because something glitters doesn't mean that it's gold, right? Right? Just because your neighbors across the street who seem to be living a different pattern of life than you have two new cars in the driveway, you have no idea the car payments that they brought home with those nice new shiny cars. Be content to drive your piece of junk because at least it's paid off and you are able to do other things with your money that are tied to your heart, like giving and investing in your family and whatever else. That's just you know a quick finance example of that, but sometimes it appears evil is winning but you can't always see beneath the surface. Sometimes, evil is winning temporarily. The struggle is real. And every believer since the time of Jesus, every faithful person back in, into the Old Testament has gone through a period of time where there is struggle. We do not tie our faith to a health, wealth, prosperity thing that says if you believe in God, everything's going to be okay. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart; I have overcome the world. And so sometimes we walk through things that we even know have a shelf life. We know they're temporary. And yet still it's easy to say, why am I going through this when they are not? And I think it's important sometimes to realize, I don't know if it makes it much easier, but sometimes a little bit easier to say, Why should I expect to not have to go through things just because I walk with Jesus? And then again, I use this word sometimes because I think all these things are kind of operative inside of our lives. Let's face it, we live in a broken world. Sometimes evil is actually winning. There are things inside of society. There's things inside of our world. There's trends inside of culture. Sometimes we are swimming upstream inside of a broken world. Sometimes things are going the opposite way. Sometimes there, there are going to be, be patterns and systems and institutions inside of our world that are going to have an outright distrust and distaste and disapproval and disdain for the people of God. And the scorecard of your life not, might not be here on earth but actually the world that is ultimate that awaits us on the other side and so that's where the psalmist goes he said all these things really stuck out to me until I went to church until I went to the sanctuary of God because when I was in the presence of God all of a sudden a couple things started to happen number one you know the enemy wasn't the loudest voice inside of my life what appeared to be true was displaced by what was actually true The temporary affliction going on inside of my life was was ministered to by the God who says, I'm with you through this and in this. And even the things that I cannot change, that totally stink and run against the grain that we should not be walking through, we realize that is not the full picture and the end of the story. We know the ultimate reality inside of our lives. There is something that happens when I enter the sanctuary of God. These things... And again, these things are not insignificant. The reason I put them up here is because I think we need to think through when it seems like evil is winning, what is actually taking place. Is it actually winning? If so, then that's something that only comes between you and God in prayer and to realize that this world is not my home. But sometimes it's just a temporary thing we're going through or just the appearance that we get trapped by or the enemy trying to spin the situation inside of our lives. And so the psalmist says there is no perfect answer. There is no great solution. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to what's taking place. But it's okay to be honest with God and to question why. It's okay to come before God and to say this is not right because this is not right. It's okay to come before God and say things should be different because Things should be different. And God wants and invites our honesty, and he, and he wants to have access to your heart, either to, to illuminate truth or to even just bring you comfort in the midst of that. But he wants to walk with you through it. And So the, so the psalmist gets to the end, and he says, when I went to the sanctuary, a couple of things begin to happen. And these are the things that I think continue just to keep us kind of rooted and grounded. It's the psalmist says, when I went into the sanctuary, I now live in light of eternity. There's a perspective that changes inside of my life. That I live in light of what is going to be ultimately true. You will spend, I don't know how long eternity is, but I think it's a long time. You will spend, I don't care if you live, you know, 115 years on this earth, The one thing I know for sure is you will spend more time in eternity than you spend on this earth. And I know I'm being facetious. You know, like the reality is that eternity is eternity. And so these momentary things that we go through, I know that they're tough. I know that they're difficult. But they are not the ultimate reality of who we are or who God is or what life is about. I'm able to see as God sees that God has the ability to bring his perspective into my world, and so then I can perceive things differently. And to perceive is I can begin to put some God-colored glasses on instead of the set of glasses that I tend to glimpse the world through, that God is able to change my perception of how reality comes in to my life. And I can trust that God is with me that his power is made possible. Now, those are good churchy words that we want to live with God's perspective, to have God's eyes to to perceive things around us through the lens of faith, to live with his power and his presence with us. But it doesn't change the fact that sometimes even when you do that, I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years or for three months, it is okay that sometimes as you're trying to live faithfully, it appears like you're doing something wrong or you're on the wrong side or why is it, you know, if God is so real and so good, how is it that people that don't have him and don't pay any regard to him seem to be winning? I don't know the answer to that question. But I know the psalmist that when I find myself in the presence of God, there's a few things that take place. And it helps me navigate those difficulties. And so the psalmist comes honestly and openly before God. If last week's psalm, Psalm 51, was kind of a a sappy ballad, you know, of of, of David pouring out his heart, I think today's song is well, it sounds a lot like a country song, like an old school country song, right? You know, like, you know, my truck is gone and my dog's gone and my girl's gone and, you know, you know I'm trying to do all the right things. What happened? Or maybe potentially you could bring, like, you know, a nice heavy metal song, you know, heavy metal music into this. But, um, but this is a song that he's still willing to sing because it's his honest prayer before God. And God meets him in the middle of that. And so, uh, there's a lot going on inside of our world. There's a lot going on inside of your world. And sometimes it seems like the way people live out there is easy and successful, and they're happier, and they're healthier. But again, number one, you don't know if that's actually the case or just a veneer that they're wearing that is only skin deep. But more importantly, God says, Whatever it is that you're dealing with, I want to know about it, and I want to meet you in the midst of it, that you can begin to see as I see, that my presence can go with you through all things, and that there's power available that you have not even tapped into yet. And oh, by the way, even if the next 10 years of your life are hard, let me tell you about what awaits you on the other side. That's why I wonder if some of the most joyful literature in the church throughout the years has come from the persecuted church. People who have gone through hardship and difficulty and haven't had anywhere near the amount of wealth that even the, the person with the least amount of money in this room has. They've discovered the joy of Jesus because they recognize that there is something awaiting them that is far better than the world that they live in. The problem is sometimes that when we live in prosperity, we expect prosperity. When you live with nothing and God is all that you have, then then the idea of heaven and who Jesus is becomes so much more real and palatable. And so be honest with him and allow him to come in and to give you a perspective that we live in light of eternity But in the meantime, he wants to meet us in the midst of our circumstances and to provide power that's outside of our power. And sometimes we need to be less concerned with who seems to be winning out there and more concerned with how God wants us to be faithful and to live right here. And we'll trust him to work it all out in the end. Let's pray together. God, I would pray that you... We continue to help us and allow us to be open with you and honest with you. Lord, even just to share the things that we, even as we say them and they come out of our, na- our mouths, we know that they're not true. That evil seems to be winning, that, that the people have no regard for you seem to be doing just fine. And sometimes that trips us up. Sometimes we shake our fist in the air, sometimes we, we want to see your vengeance, we want to see... Uh, equity, we want to see fairness, we want to see righteousness win. And then we think of your last days on this earth, when it seemed like evil had won, when it seemed like those who were out to get you got their way. And even as disciples scattered and fleed, thinking that maybe they got it all wrong about who you were. But then on the third day, the tomb was empty and you walked out alive and victorious. You reminded them inside of that moment that you've called them to something so much greater than just an earthly victory, but you've called them to faithful obedience in you that comes with a glorious inheritance and fellowship with you for all of eternity. God, I would pray today that for all of us that you would help us to live inside of that reality. That the story we're living in the midst of now is not the complete story. And so whatever it is that we're walking through today and this moment, whatever we're going to walk into this week, whatever's really getting at us now that it seems like something seems to be winning, Lord, would you remind us today of who you are of your faithfulness to us and of your victory, your ultimate victory over sin and death. God, would you help us to be honest with you that in conversation to bring our needs and our concerns and our cares, our gripes and our laments, everything that we're going through, Lord, that we can bring it to you and that you want to meet us in the midst of it. We ask these things, we pray these things in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.